morning. Whoa, did I wake everybody up? <laughs> I want to welcome you to our morning worship service, our regulars, any of your visitors, you're most welcome as well. Thank you for coming because your presence here enhances our corporate worship to the Lord and, we, and that is always a special time. Also, um, one thing that I want to mention is that, you know this group back here? Uh, you know, you know they, they just play whatever, right? No, they're really, really, really good at what they do. And we want to thank the Lord for them because they, it takes them quite a bit of effort and time to produce the music that they do. And I'm telling you, they're second to none. So we want to say thank you for all their hard work that they do for us as they prepare us for the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, if you have your bulletin, a special announcement there, uh, the men's breakfast coming up March 9th. So if you want to mark that up on your calendar so that uh, you know when, where, and what time to be here for the men's breakfast. Also, don't forget to pray for the ministries here at El Paso Bible Church, the Kids Church, Awana's Clubs. And also, as a, you know, every week we remind you that we are found on the social media and they're listed there on the bottom of your page. And so uh, basically those are the announcements this morning as we prepare for our pastor's message. Uh, if you would... I would encourage you to open your Bibles or however you, whatever media you have, uh, to Revelation chapter 21, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 4 this morning. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he, excuse me, he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Thank the Lord for those special words. Let's pray. Our Father God, it's times like these when, Father, we not only come to worship, Lord, but pray that you be blessed. And Father, we thank you for being there for us. Even as his word encourages us, Father, you'll never leave us nor forsake us, even to the end. So Father, we thank you for that, that you're beside us and you're our power and our help and our strength because we do need that day by day, Father, as a people. You know our weaknesses, but you also know our strengths. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you're ever so mindful of these things in our lives. Not only that, Father, you look after us and help us, Father, when we're ailing, when we're hurting, when our heart is hurting. All these things, Father, that encumbrance us, Father, sometimes from stealing our joy. So, Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is our joy this morning, that he's our everything. And, Father, just by being here with us, Father, pray that he encourages our heart this morning to even learn more about the Word of God as you prepare through our pastor's heart. And so this morning, Lord, I just lift him up 
Lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so that he may be praised, Father. And thank you, Lord, for all your goodness. In Christ's name, amen. It's a strong and mighty tower by it was saved. Cause he is a name. He's our rock and our redeemer. Oh, the precious name of Jesus will never change. Cause even in the desert waits, he is still my resting place. Even when my soul is faint. I will praise Though I am a runaway He still calls me home by name I'll be singing with the saints I will praise I know a God Who will never leave His people Who stays faithful to receive it When we're not a God whose promise never falters. There is mercy at the altar for us all. Cause even in the desert ways, even when my soul calls me home by name. I'll be singing with the saints. I will praise, praise the Lord. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, 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 oh. Praise the Lord. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, There is a sound 
that breaks off every shackle, turns the tide of any battle, lift up a sound, there is a sound, that breaks off every shackle, turns the tide of any battle, lift up a sound.
Introduce this last song last week. Last song last week. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Josh and I and another the elders were meeting with a member and hearing their testimony. And uh, Pastor Josh had something that stuck with me. He said, Thank you for sharing. Your testimony is beautiful. And that got me thinking that we all have a unique story to tell of how we came to trust Jesus for salvation. And our testimony, your story, our testimony is beautiful. It may not be blockbuster material, but it's beautiful. Never gave up on me. You never gave up on me. 
Sunday to you. I'm excited to be here. I've had a, a rough week of sleep. Anybody else having trouble sleeping or is it just me? I uh, have a little bit of insomnia, but I'm doing well today. Uh, we have a men's breakfast coming up, and this works out so well when I do this. I'm not trying to bend your arm or anything, but I'm going to go ahead and do it again. We're going to pass this sign-up sheet out. March 9th, guys, uh, we had our triple B last night. Uh, children, you guys can go to Children's Church also. I mean, you're not going to sign up for that, Eileen, but I'm going to let you pass it, okay? Because you're on the front row. All right. We uh, have a men's breakfast coming up on March 9th, so I want to encourage you guys to come. Uh, sign up for that so we know, or we is rhetorical. Richard's going to be making sure everything is cooked, I think. Right, Richard? All right. So we just need to know, because it's sad to not have enough bacon. Amen? Amen? All right, sad not to have enough bacon. So we want to know. Uh, we had a triple B last night, uh, beef, Bibles, and brews, whichever, whatever you want to put the Bs, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, had a great time of fellowship in the Word and, uh, and just meat, right? So we had a good time uh, with our steaks, sausage, and I think Lang brought mushrooms. Lang didn't hear this morning. He had too many of those mushrooms or something. But um, good time, great time of fellowship intergenerational uh, fellowship is what we're after on the Triple B. Um, and, of course, everyone, up to, it's up to you guys uh, who, who is old enough to come to the men's breakfast. Um, I will say that uh, sometimes, historically, we've talked about topics that might be sensitive to maturity levels. Uh, so, you know, teens and up, certainly, uh, but it may not be for every, all of your sons, depending on their age and maturity level. All right, does that make sense? It's up to you, though. It's up to you. Um, anyway, so we have that coming up. I want to mention another thing we have coming up, um, and that is a baptism service. So we actually have a couple of folks that are interested in being baptized, so we are going to have that. That's the, we don't have a baptism service and hope somebody walks down here, uh, usually. So we have a couple of people that want to get baptized. If you have not been baptized since you trusted in Christ and would like to be, that's going to be on March 24th. Um, so please let me know if that's you or if you have a, a child that has trusted in Christ and wants to be baptized, uh, just also let me know. You can let Sasha know in the office uh, or you can call me directly or email or text or whatever. I'm connected to all of the things. You can, if you can find me, you can notify me. How about that? Um, and so that's it, I think, for the other things that we ought to mention as announcements. Uh, guys, we need to pray uh, this morning. Um, we, we prayed last night 
at our triple B, and we need to probably reiterate and repray. Not repray. We didn't. We didn't fail praying last night, but we we need to repeat our prayer because it's these things are urgent. So I'm going to do that, and I hope that you'll join with me. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your grace to us, uh, the life that we have in your Son, uh, that makes everything else that matters matter. Uh, that you have given us life as a free gift simply by grace through faith in your son alone and we we cannot fathom the price that you paid but we're thankful for it all the same we're thankful for it and father we thank you for the privilege that we have as the possessors of that life as your children to bring requests before you and father we know that um even in our little body, that there is, there, there is suffering, physical suffering, illnesses, uh, that we, we do not know how it is that you are going to work out for good. But we have faith this morning that you work all things together for the good of those who love you. We know that, and we believe it, and Father, we ask for it today, knowing that we're submitting to your will as to what that looks like. Uh, Father, we pray uh, for those who are suffering with chronic illnesses uh, and the variety of those things, Father, that they would experience comfort uh, and healing, Father, and, uh, and restoration. Uh, we pray for our world. We pray for your people, Israel. We pray that they would have success in their pursuit of peace and be a self-defense case. Father, we pray for the global conflict. We pray, we, pray, um, we pray that the very obvious escalations globally would subside, Father, because we know that it puts um, brave men at risk. And we have, in many cases, fools deciding where to send them. And Father, we pray for your preservation for those courageous men that they would not be put in harm's way unnecessarily. Well, Father, we pray for them as well. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And we pray that you would bless it to our hearts as we seek to bring you glory in this life. And it's in Shun's name we pray. Amen. Uh, guys, we're in Second Peter um, again this morning. That shouldn't surprise any of you. What should be surprising is when I do like the marriage myths on Valentine's Day or something. But we, Valentine's Day was on Wednesday this year. It wasn't on Sunday, so you didn't even have to deal with that. This shouldn't be surprising. And so I'm going to remind you, you, you are able to actually read ahead. Can you imagine that? I'm not assigning you homework. But you can read ahead in the Scripture and come in prepared. Um, that's one thing that I'll tell you was a liability in my education because I was... Uh, I was not on the dumb end of the spectrum growing up. It was pretty easy for me to sound like I knew what I was talking about most of the time. No one ever told me I could just read ahead and know what people were talking about better. I just kind of wrote it out for a while, and I had to take my own advice. I told my oldest sons as they started progressing in their education, guys, eventually you're going to run across something that is hard. You're going to run across something that is hard, and you're going to have to work at it like you haven't worked at it before. And it's going to be for your good. And guys, some of us here this morning could, could do it. You, you kind of want to, why would you ever do it? You're going to preach it to me. That's right. You can do something different that might seem a little hard. 
And you might get a little more out of it if you do the hard things for your good. It's important, right? So this, I'm going to tell you, I just, this is common, right? If you're depending on um, a 37 to 41 minute sermon on Sunday morning for your spiritual growth entirely, that's not sufficient. That's not sufficient. So you need to spend time in the word yourself, studying the word, uh, wrestling with questions that come up. You know, kids naturally do this. When you bring them to Sunday school, they ask some of the hardest theological questions, biblical questions you can come up with. Try to explain Trinitarianism to a seven-year-old one time. And if you can succeed, you can explain it to anybody as best as you possibly can. So I'd encourage you to do that. Generally speaking, you will rarely be disappointed at El Paso Bible Church if you read the next few verses because that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. So, we're talking about growing in grace. With that in mind, we've been talking about growing in grace for a, a good number of months now, studying God's Word, applying the, the initial principle that we learned, and that is that God supplies us with everything that we need for life and godliness. That's everything that we need, right? So, you don't have to do that thing. Y'all use, uh, well, so that, like we have Sam's people and Costco people. We're a, we have a mixed congregation, Right? Sam's people and Costco people, I like Costco, but I like this about Sam's. Costco needs a scan and go, don't they? Don't, do they have a scan and go? I haven't been there in a while. Do they have a scan and go app? Do they have it now? They should. They didn't have one last time I had a membership. But the weird thing about scan and go, you know what I'm talking about? The thing where you can take your phone into Sam's and walk out and feel like you stole everything? That's because they just check your three items in your cart. Have you done this? This is crazy. Because I shop like old school Sam shoppers. We walk out with a cart and a half full of stuff every two weeks. And so it feels really wrong to not go through a long line to check out that stuff. But I'm getting used to it because it's really convenient. But you know what it does? Are you, are you forgetting something? And it gives you a list of 36 things that you think, you think, that Sam's thinks that you might need based on your purchasing habits. And I always say no. You know why? Because I'm offended. Not because they might not be right. Not because they they might be right. I might have forgotten toilet paper, gentlemen, which is a major no-no. But because they reminded me, I tell them no. I'll take another trip to tell them they're wrong. You don't get to do that with the Lord. You don't get to do that with the Lord. When he supplies you something, guys, he didn't give you extra. He didn't give you extra stuff. He didn't give you things that you might decide you don't need. He gave you everything you need for life and godliness. Thank the Lord our spiritual life is not like scan and go. Amen. So when he's given it to us, we need to know that we, we need it. <clears throat> we need it. We need to apply the things that he's already supplied to us. You know, having, it gives us confidence in our role. The more that we extend ourselves in exercising the things that he's given us in the list, the more we have confidence that he has indeed given us all the things for life and godliness. Serving, ministering, living life, making decisions, having confidence in our role and our purpose here on this earth, knowing that part of that process is other people ministering to us, Ministering the word to us um, so that we can be reminded of things that we already learned. And occasionally I have somebody look at me kind of funny like, why do you go? Why do you go to that pastor's conference? 
I'm going to go to one here in Houston. Can anything good come out of Houston? Only when you're on your way back to El Paso. But there's a good conference there that I go to every year, and it's the Chafer Pastors Conference. And when I tell people about it, I'm like, well, don't you know all that stuff already? I mean, to be honest, I am at least as qualified as the vast majority of people there. I have at least as much experience as many of them. Uh, academically, in some cases, I'm, I'm more qualified than they are. You know why I go? Because I do know those things. I need to be reminded of them. I was established in them. I need to hear them again. And, so, and the body does this for me sometimes. You do this sometimes with your questions or whatever, but it's a very... Uh, some conferences I go to are not, not as intense. Can I say that? These guys mean it. You're in, you're in a conference for, for long hours when you go. And uh, I need that. You need that. We all need that. We never grow past the, the necessity that we have to be reminded of the things in which we've been established. Never. One of the signs of immaturity... <laughs> In the, in the Christian life is to look at something in its simplicity, its beauty, and its most basic nature and to say, I don't need that. You do need it. You do need it. That's one of the things that God has supplied to you for life and godliness. Absolutely need it. The reason for that is because false teachers are dangerous and they are prevalent. And stable people who have been stabilized and established, right? We talked about that. They have, they have the liability at all times of becoming unstable. It may be less likely. It may be less likely. But it's still possible. One of the first chapel messages that stuck out to me when I was at Dallas Seminary, and I'm talking 20, almost 20 years later. It, well, actually, it was 20 years. This is 21 years later. This was 03, 02. I remember not very many chapel messages, but I remember Dr. Don Campbell standing up in Dallas Center in the chapel message. He had a severe case of Parkinson's, so he quaked quite a lot when he was preaching. And he was in chapel, and he was preaching that message. He was in his 80s, and he said, guys, one of the greatest fears that I have at this point in my ministry is that I would not finish strong. He had been teaching at Dallas Seminary longer than I have been alive now, 20-something years later. You know what he was talking about? Lust. In his 80s. Now, that man understood where the lust problem arises. That's where the lust problem is. A lot of people make the mistake signing it to other body parts. Origin among them, if you know your church history. He knew. He needed to be reminded. He needed to be, to rehash, to reestablish the connections between his, the purity of his mind and his ministry, even in, in that late age. False teachers are dangerous because they tempt people who are stable, who are established, who know a lot of things, to become unstable in their spiritual lives. That's not talking about going to hell when you die. That's simply making you useless. That was the terminology. You will become without profit. You won't be useful in this world if you become unstable. Don't you hate it when you go to a restaurant 
and the table, uh, the, the chair might as well have three legs. It's so unlevel. It's not useful. It drives me crazy because I build the things. Even worse, a table. Have you seen the table that rocks six inches in either direction? You dare not fill your ice water up? Burn that thing. It's useless. You don't have enough napkins in the restaurant to take that much tilt out of it. You know what I mean? They wedge the napkins underneath. It says, if you become, having been made stable, if you become unstable, you are without usefulness. Guys, we, we love you. People have loved me through useless stages. I'm not saying that. And the Lord continues to love us. But you can do it. And it's not good. False teachers are dangerous. Mockers, mocking are dangerous. They're wrong also. We talked about this last week. God is not slow about his promises, Peter says, as some count slowness. You're mistaking God's patience with his children as slowness in judging the world. Remember, the patience is directed towards his children in accomplishing their purpose. In this context, it's not patience with the world. It's patience with his children. A day, he says, like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day, a a simile, two similes, actually, to tell us that God doesn't punch our time clock. And we're not in charge. So what do we know? We know we're here on purpose. We know we have everything that we need to achieve our purpose. To grow in grace, to serve the Lord, um, to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that God is patient with our, with our weaknesses. That's important. All right? It's important. Parents, by the way, this could be used as an illustration, that you understand that your children have weaknesses and you need to be patient with them. Your children are already patient with your weaknesses by definition. Parents don't like to hear that. So you ought to at least reciprocate. Amen? Amen. I don't care if you amen that one. I'll amen it loud enough for all of you. Children are patient with your weaknesses by default. They have no choice, so be patient with theirs. But what do we know about that? What do we know about where we are? That's who we are. That's what we have. What about eschatology? You remember the eschatao word group? It means that you're standing on the cusp, the precipice of something new. That's what the verb is, to stand almost foolishly right on the edge of something else. All right, that's what Peter says. We're in the last days, right on the precipice, about to fall face forward into the beauty of eternity. I know that's an odd illusion. We know that we're, last, we're in the last days. One of the ways we know we're in the last days is the false teachers. Well, like you can't throw a rock into a crowd and not hit one. It's kind of like Josh's. My parents were mocked for naming me Josh in 1978, not Joshua. They had never met one. They had never met one. Now... I had to, like 20 years ago, I was working in a call center. My, my handle had to be third of five Joshes because there were five of us in a call center that never had more than 15 people in it. Can't throw a rock and not hit one of us around. That's kind of how false teachers are these days. It tells us that we're in the last days. We know that we're in the last days because there is mocking going on about the Lord's return. They're saying that it's because it's 
God's patience makes it appear that he's slow. It's not happening at all. It's being ridiculed. The, the, the theology of it, the doctrine of it is being denigrated. But Peter says we know this, that the now heaven, the now earth, the things that you experience now are destined for destruction. He's going to destroy them as the instrument of judging the ungodly. So when is that, when is that going to take place? When is that going to take place? I would place that. Not soon enough. Is that what y'all are saying? No? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a part of that that's true. Not soon enough. We'll get there. When is it going to take place? Well, there's, some, there's discussions about that. Some people, when they hear the word new, hear remodeled. I, having grown up restoring furniture that was up to several hundred years old, know the difference between new and refurbished. So when scripture says the now heaven and the now earth will be replaced by the new heaven and the new earth, I think we have to go with new. And I can only identify one time where scripture says that that happens, right? I already read that passage out of Revelation 21, that it is the supplanting of the old. The old things have passed away with the new. There's a replacement going on there. And the things that are destined for fire will be burned up. I think we have to do that because though there is judgment before that, when we got taught through Revelation, y'all remember we could almost not finish the description of all the judgments in the tribulation, right? But the present earth and, and the present heavens survive that. They are tremendously modified, but the kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ is on this earth, physical rule from Jerusalem, and it's not until the end of that, that the now heaven and the now earth are judged with fire, that the earth is destroyed and the new earth comes. So what else do we know? Well, verse 10 of chapter 3 says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. So what are we talking about? Well, he says that there's the, the, this thing that's coming ahead that is for sure coming. God is being patient with us, but don't allow either your perception of slowness or patience to make you think that this isn't coming. It is coming. It is coming. It's coming. It's inexorable. God says so. Nothing you can do to stop it. It is coming. But what is it? So in your daily Bible reading, in Zephaniah this morning, for instance, anybody? No? This is one exception to the verse-by-verse -verse principle that I do. I actually preached out of Zephaniah in uh, Advent, this last season in Advent. Zephaniah uses the day of the Lord, but it's very clear what the day of the Lord means in Zephaniah. It means exile, destruction, the people dragged out of the land. There's a, a supernatural component. It can't be ascribed to politics, foolishness, all those things. It is God saying history is not going to continue naturally. History is going to turn the way that I turn it. It's going to do what I say it does in this instance. 
And we find that throughout the Old Testament that often there's a near referent. Actually, it's fairly uncommon for them to talk about the ultimate day of the Lord that comes after the last days. The day of the Lord comes, but it's always the same. The warriors tremble. The judgment is great. The weeping, the wailing, the crying out are part of the day of the Lord. It is God entering, uh, in a sense, history in a way that is not normal, that's not, that is supernatural, that's unexpected, and turning it a particular way. It's a supernatural judgment, weeping, wailing, suffering, bitterness. You can look, you can check. Put it in quotes. If you put in day, it won't help you at all. If you put in Lord, it won't help you at all. You need to put in quotes, day of the Lord, in your search feature. You can look it up. That's what this is indicating. The day, the day of the Lord. Now remember, we're in the last days. We're on the cusp. We're on the edge of falling face forward into something new. That's the description. And so we're not looking for the intermediate kind of day of the Lord. We're looking for the one that comes after the last days, after the precipice, the last one. Because that's what comes after the last days. He says it will come like a thief. And so here's where people get funky with their understanding of what's going on in the Bible. Because we have that phrase. Paul uses it. Jesus uses it. He says like a thief. Like a thief. And the idea is that it is unexpected. It's unexpected. Now you you may know because you guys are all staunch dispensationalists, right? Don't raise your hand if you're not. Don't raise your hand if you don't know what that means. That's okay. I'm going to explain it. The the basic form, right, of dispensationalism, the most basic core is that the church and Israel are distinct. That's what Charles Ryrie would say. So when Jesus says that this day will come like a thief, we need to understand that he is talking to a different entity than the church. He's talking to Israel. And it will be unexpected. Remember, in Peter, we're talking about a group of people specifically. The context is God addressing the mockery of the mockers. And now, if somebody's going around preaching a message that says, Jesus isn't coming back, you dummies. And then Jesus comes back, what do you think that's going to feel like? He's going to feel like he got robbed, huh? It's going to be surprising to somebody who is legit proclaiming that Jesus isn't coming back when Jesus comes back. And in fact, the word, he says, the word come here is not a normal word, actually, not the most common. We expect sometimes ginomai, which is actually become, sometimes used for a physical arrival, to become something. That's pretty common. Erkamai is very, very common. Neither one of those words are used here. It's echo. Which really means to confront, frequently anyway, to confront with hostility. To confront with hostility. So who, who does the kingdom confront with hostility? Its enemies. The kingdom confronts its enemies with hostility. See, you should expect, you're part of El Paso Bible Church, when you come through the door, 
Pastor Josh is going to smile if he remembers. He's got a little ADD problem, so he may not remember, but he intends to. He intends to. He intends to shake your hand and smile and greet you warmly. But I have a fairly keen sense as to what an enemy looks like. Right? Because if you don't have those, you're not like Jesus. You need to develop a sense of who's your enemy in the world. Everybody's not your friend. Can I tell you that my response would be different? I'm going to confront that individual with hostility or individuals with hostility. They have no right to expect warm and friendly smiles or a sprinkly donut or coffee. All things that you have grown to expect coming to El Paso Bible Church, right? The sprinkly donuts go first. It'll come with hostility and confront its enemies. That's what Peter is getting at here. That's who's going to experience the hostility of the day of the Lord. That's what this is indicating. It's going to come upon the mockers, the false teachers, the ones who have caused people to be destabilized because they've said, this isn't even happening, guys. You shouldn't hitch your wagon to Jesus coming and saving the world, making a new world. You've got to make it on your own. You've got, to, you've got to make that kingdom happen. You've got to bring it about. You don't bear that burden. Have I said that before? You do not bear the burden of bringing the kingdom in whole or in part. You have the responsibility as the church to walk by the Spirit, to grow in grace, to make righteous and wise decisions to the best of your ability, to supply the things in certain situations in your activities and your decisions of all the things that God has supplied for you that is sufficient for life and godliness. But the kingdom coming is not our problem. That's Jesus. And he is not slow about his promise, the way some count slowness. Now, some of y'all think that's pessimistic. You are wrong. I am entirely optimistic about Jesus' ability and, and grace and love to bring that about, about his power to bring it about. You should be pessimistic about your ability to bring in Christ's righteous kingdom and ruling from Jerusalem. <laughs> yes? Israel isn't doing it either, even with all of our help that we can give them. It should be a massive relief to you that God has not burdened the church to do what only Christ can do. So if that makes you feel sad that you're not supposed to bring the kingdom because all of the hop-along Jesus songs you've been singing for 30 years, that's what an old Baptist preacher friend of mine called them. Talk about us bringing the kingdom and building the kingdom and da-da-da-da-da have taught you bad theology. I have a resolution for you. Repent. Repent. Change your mind. Metanoia, right? You change your mind about that. Jesus is bringing the kingdom and it's coming. And he's not slow about his promise. Some people mistake this because they talk about the surprising nature, right? And so that's why we spend a little time on this, uh, because they assume that that's something that has to be uh, imminent at the time that it comes upon them. Here's the, the problem. So we talk about the rapture, the catching up, the harpazo, right, as being imminent for us. 
we pray that it happens today, Maranatha, right? <laughs> we haven't prayed that we don't get to finish this message, that we don't get to have a concluding prayer or go to lunch wherever we go since Luby's closed. Right? When I was a kid, it was always Luby's. Whenever the few times we went out to lunch, right? That's imminency. And so they see imminency here, but it's not telling you us, right, because it's the confrontation with hostility. It's the hostile confrontation. The kingdom is not going to confront you and me with hostility. We're part of the kingdom. We are of the kingdom. So it's also not going to surprise us. It's going to surprise the people it confronts with hostility who will still be proclaiming, even in the millennium, get this, because this happens after the millennium. There are a bunch of really dumb people, dumb as a box of rocks and a bag of hammers mixed up in the same bowl. They're going to stare at Jesus ruling from Jerusalem in his face and say, you are not who you say you are. You are a charlatan and we're going to rebel against you. Squash, burn, fire, melt. All done, game over, new heaven, new earth, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. The old things have passed away, and he's not slow about his promise. The day of the Lord is coming like a thief with hostility upon its enemies. Massive rebellion will be before that. That's how it'll be for the scoffers. But he has an application for us. So don't, don't, don't you walk away from here and say we didn't get an application. Because some people look at us expository preachers and they didn't give me any application. He did not tell me what groceries to buy. He didn't tell me who to boycott. He didn't tell me where or not to buy my gas. You're going to try to buy stuff from only righteous people. You're going to starve and go nowhere. Did you miss that part about the way the world works? You do realize that that's a strong principle in Scripture, right? You remember the, the story of the Exodus? How did the Israelites pay for the tabernacle? Do you know how vast the amount of wealth was? that was used to build the tabernacle. <laughs> we made a big deal out of it going through it in Sunday school, how much money that cost. You know where they got that money? Not from making mud bricks as slaves. Egypt paid for it. And it wasn't capitalism. They begged them to take it so they would leave. They took it from the world and used it for their righteous purpose. So don't waste your time trying to figure out how you're only going to buy stuff from righteous people. That's stupid. How to figure out how you're going to use the things that you possess for righteous purposes. Can we stop there? But for us, he says, there's application. And that's part of it, guys. That's not, that, that wasn't free. That's connected, right? So we, we have a sense here. So as a result, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? 
he states that as a rhetorical question. In other words, Pastor Josh shouldn't have to explain it, but Pastor Josh is going to explain it anyway. Y'all don't look excited. Do I need to explain it? Holiness and godliness, you should conduct yourselves in this way uh, because the things that we produce that are enduring, durable, Paul says, that the works that we produce, some can be wood, hay, and stubble, and some can be precious gems and precious metals, and God's fire, Jesus' fire at the, the judgment seat, the bema, which we talk about a good bit here, is going to be applied to the whole thing, the whole buffet of the things that you produced. And the vegan options are going away. Oh, sorry. Just kidding. The wood, the hay, the stubble. It's like a salad bar for horses, right? Or cows. That's going to get burned up. That's going away. The precious things will remain. And that's what he's saying. All of that is going to be burned up. All of it. So take the things that you have, the life that you have, all the things that he's provided for us for life and godliness, and don't waste it on deciding which Walmart you're going to boycott this week or whatever. I think I've been told that I can't go to heaven when I die if I shop at Walmart, Costco, Sam's, Albertsons, how many places, Starbucks. What that tells me is that people don't actually know how bad the world is. Now, maybe I should spend less at Starbucks and give more to the pregnancy center or the rescue mission. They have a, a, at the rescue mission, they have an ongoing need for men's pants. And for the price of one Starbucks coffee, you can probably get a couple of pairs at Savers. That might be something worth considering. Substituting. Substituting that, maybe. Humans, humans are important in God's sight, are they not? He loves them. He desires for all of them to be saved. We're told to care for them. That might be something to do. Don't waste your efforts, don't waste the things that God has given you on things that are going to burn up. Holy conduct, godliness, looking for and hastening. It's a weird word to say, and we'll explain it. Hastening the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. Looking for, hastening. I think those are in parallel to each other. Hastening actually can be desiring earnestly. I don't think that you're going to move the timeline simply with your emotive force. That makes sense. Like looking for something eagerly isn't going to bring it faster. You know this, right? You ever taken a road trip with children? You know this. Going to Houston, they, want, they think we should be there by the time we get to Tornillo. We got, we got 14 hours left, gentlemen. Buckle up. Going as fast as we can. That's the way we, you know, we treat God. We're not going to make it go faster by desiring eagerly to be there. 
but we can live our lives in holy conduct and godliness knowing that we desire it to come, that we're living with that priority in our lives. Looking eagerly for the day of God. Looking eagerly. See, this is where dispensationalists get the accusation of pessimism. Looking for this burning up of that. Desiring it earnestly. I had a, we used to have a property down in the hill country. Not a huge property. Needed a lot of cleaning up. Both junk and cedar everywhere. And so we were on our own. We weren't able to afford to contract anybody to do anything for us, really. So Priscilla and I, when the kid, Thaddeus was in diapers when we were doing this. So it was a while ago. Um, we spent every weekend, every waking hour, cutting and burning cedar. Our neighbor bought a vacant lot next to us. I had never met them. They were a little bit uptight. And they thought that nobody should cut down trees of any kind and burn them. You know they're not from the hill country if they object. They actually threatened to sue me once because I accidentally cut one that was actually in the street. It was in the utility easement, but they thought it was theirs. A cedar tree, guys. Trash. Hardly good for making charcoal. But we had to do that. We burned, man. Burned big piles. Big piles. Like it looked like the whole world was burning if you had zoomed in with your camera phone. But we knew that it had to all burn. To be able to make that our abode. To build our house there and to live there. Fire had to come before dwelling because right now, you and I, we're sojourners, aren't we? We're sojourners. You know, the difference biblically, a sojourner is a, uh, is a hobo. <laughs> Traveling down the railroad tracks of history, looking for the, the kingdom that is to come, the home that is to come. We're just Christian hobos, right? Looking for our permanent home. I want to explain to you also, Scripture actually kind of indicates that heaven is a sojourning for us too. Humans were created to live on the earth, and they will live on the earth. Heaven is not your destiny. The earth is not our home. By the way, heaven is not our home. The new earth is our home. The kingdom of eternity is our home. And so, yes, we're looking earnestly, desiring earnestly the end of our journey, our home. And it's necessary for the fire to come first. Kind of like that. It's necessary. But according to his promise, verse 13, we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. And this is the characteristic in which righteousness dwells. Not sojourns, not arrives, dwells. I'm not sure if you understand the import, but the promise that was given uh, in the Abrahamic covenant to Israel is that they would have a land in which to dwell. And the caveat, the description of that was that they would never, never be removed from it again. 
when the fullness of the covenant came. It's similar. Righteousness will dwell in that new heaven and new earth, and it will never be removed ever again. Ever. Perfection for eternity. Can you imagine being a false teacher proclaiming that that's never going to happen? <laughs> and getting up every morning and teaching that? And people call dispensationalists pessimists. <laughs> Guys, that, that should redirect all of our priority. It should redirect the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, the way we work, the way we rest. I know some of y'all looking at me like, you have no room to talk about rest. You're right. You're right. Frankly, at some points, it's a sin issue for me that I have to repent of. It should, though. It should inform how we rest, how we work, how we spend. How we spend our time, our resources, our time, talents, and treasures, a good friend of mine used to say. We need to live. But we need to live with that end in mind, the kingdom. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity with which it is spoken to us, for the encouragement that is in it. We thank you that you are not slow about your promises. We thank you for your patience and your grace and your mercy to your children first uh, and to the world as well. We do desire earnestly the coming new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. May it come quickly. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? We'll dismiss with a song.
See you next Sunday.